Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, all right, all right. How you doing? Three of you are doing awesome. How you doing? Oh, man, oh, man. I think it's been eight weeks, eight weeks since I've been up here. Man, I have missed you. If you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 3, I want you to open up there. That's where we're going to be tonight, Daniel chapter 3. Um, guys, it is 2021. Someone say hallelujah. Say it one more time, hallelujah. All right, in the name of Jesus, this year will be better than 2020. Can I get an Amen. All right, all right. We are going through a series on the book of Daniel. Everyone say Daniel. Daniel, okay. This is an Old Testament prophet. It's a very interesting book. This book was written with two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. Hebrew and Aramaic. And Pastor Victor, I know he looks like you, looks like me. Many of you came up to him last week and said, Pastor Tim, what a great message. I did not preach last week. That was Pastor Victor. But we're doing a great job at fooling you. He opened up our series on God is worthy. Everyone say God is worthy. Of a life devoted to holiness. There we go. I got you, Ashley Watson. Okay. A life devoted to holiness. And he kind of broke this down in three simple points. That holiness is a life responding to the Lord. Holiness is a life of surrendering to the Lord. And holiness is a life of obeying the Lord. And he kind of talked about this concept of singularity versus duality. An idea where at one point or another you're going to have to choose, is your life devoted to the Lord or is it devoted to anything else at the same time? Holiness would be defined as a life simply devoted to the Lord, singularity. This week I want to talk to you about God being worthy of a life devoted to worship. Everyone say worship. 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 It's a normal term that we hear in church. Most of the time we use it as the term to define the first part of our service when we come here and we sing. But I want to suggest to you tonight that worship is just a little bit more than that, a little bit more than that. I'm going to read to you 22 verses tonight. It's a big text, but it is also one of the most popular stories in all of the Bible. If you were in the millennial generation, you probably heard this story with Veggie Tales, and it was about a chocolate bunny and all of the wonders. That's at least how I first heard this story. But this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel 3, starting in verse 8. If you have your Bible, I want you to follow me in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow on the screen, brothers and sisters. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship. Everyone say worship. Worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast 
into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of the hand, your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he, he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these, these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship. Everyone say worship. Any God except their own God. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. And their house is laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Oh boy, let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. What an inspiring story to hear. 
Lord, I pray tonight you would give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you and minds to understand you, hearts to believe you. Lord, I pray you would help us shake off the dust of the old year. I pray tonight that for some, relationship would begin with you. I pray tonight, Lord, that for some, relationship would be rekindled with you. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would lay hold of every person in this room. Would you captivate our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, our actions this time? Would you help us be attuned and attentive to what the Spirit wants to do? So Holy Spirit, we say come, have your way. We surrender, we submit to you. And if you are with me tonight, can you say amen? amen. By a show of hands, how many of you have heard of this story before? That's a good job. That means it's a popular story, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me give you a little bit of context of what takes place at the beginning of this chapter. You have this Babylonian king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And this guy is full of himself. He builds a golden statue, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide of himself in gold, okay? Now, to our measurement, that would be 9 feet wide 90 feet high. That's a skinny statue. That's a skinny boy, all right? 90 foot high statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Then he gives out this decree that any time the harp, the lyre, the trigon, all the bagpipe is played, any music's played in the land, every person is to get down and worship this idol. Now, there are several words in Hebrew for the word worship. Several different definitions. One, one comes out as pay homage to. Another is for one's body to be laid prostrate before. Another one is to care, to adore, to kiss, which in the Old Testament would have, would have represented submission to. All of these words for worship. And so he's saying, look, whenever you hear the music, you are to adore, you are to care for, you are to pay homage to. You are to make your body prostrate before an idol of myself. And we have this moment where we learn from Daniel 1. There's Daniel and he's got three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all Jews. And the king takes these four and he educates them. And he, he comes to find that, that because they refuse to eat the king's meat and because they refuse to do things the way the king would have his own counselors do, they raise into authority very quickly. If you get to Daniel chapter 2, you come to find that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's a very scary dream of a statue of himself where a stone is being hurled at this statue and it's being demolished. And, and he's going, I need somebody to interpret this dream. So in Daniel 2, they take Daniel away from his friends to go be a counselor with the king in Babylon. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stay in their province as the local authorities. And then we have this moment in verse 8 where you see these Chaldeans, they're, they're jealous of these Jews. And in an effort to take their life, they realize that they refuse to bow their knee every time the music is played. They refuse to get down, pay homage to, care for, adore this statue. And so they go before the king and say, hey, these Jews refuse to follow the king's command. And in fury, Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. And they're so savage in their response. <laughs> if you translate this, they're essentially saying, we don't care what you say. We're going to do what we see 
to be right. He's angered, he takes his furnace, burns it seven times hotter, has his men throw them in the furnace. The flames are so hot that the men who throw them in die and we see something miraculous happen. Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace and instead of three, he sees four, unbound, unscorched, unhinged, and he calls them forth to come out. God is worthy of a life devoted to worship, to worship. There are three things that I think we see from this text when it comes to worship that I wanna talk to you about tonight and then we're gonna practice it, okay? Number one, worship is a decision. Worship is a decision. I wanna be clear, the topic that we are talking about tonight is not just simply the couple of songs that we sing before a message on Wednesday nights. Worship can be defined as whatever you do, whatever you spend your life doing to bring glory to something. Whatever you are going to spend yourself doing, bringing glory to something. So the question is not, will you spend yourself giving glory to something? The question is, what will you spend yourself giving glory to? Are you with me tonight? Now, whether you believe in God in here or you don't, it doesn't matter. You're going to spend your life for the glory of something, okay? And if you can sit here and you can say, Pastor, that's great, but I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I'm an agnostic. I don't believe God is present. And so if that is the case for you, one, I'm happy that you're here. Two, that's okay. All that means is that you spend your life bringing glory to yourself, bringing glory to yourself. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try to condemn you for that, right? But here's the thing. The whole theme of Daniel is the sovereignty of God. Everyone say sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. What he's getting at in this book is for us to see, the reader to see, that God is supreme over all things. He's supreme over man. He's supreme over situations. He's supreme over kingdoms. He's supreme over circumstances, that this is what it means to be God. And so he's going to say, look, you are either going to spend your life, your life is going to exist for the glory of yourself, for the glory of another God, or for the glory of God himself. Worship is a decision. Are you going to wake up tomorrow? Are you going to walk out of here tonight? And are you going to spend yourself bringing glory God, to yourself, or to anything else. Are you with me tonight? Worship is a decision that you have to make. Every time you come in here on a Wednesday night, you're faced with a choice. You're faced with a choice to either give your attention, your heart, your affections to the God who made you, to the God who sees you, to the God who knows you, or you have a choice to check out. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you have this choice every single day. Worship is a decision. And what these men came to find is that they were either going to hold fast to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or they were going to bow their knee to a skinny golden idol. They had to make a choice. This brings us to point number two. 
Worship is costly. Worship is costly. Let me show you it from the text. Verse uh, 14. Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? I love this response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Listen here. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. As a result, Nebuchadnezzar heats the furnace seven times hotter than it is. Can you hear the tension of this moment? Brings them before him in rage. Have I heard? I'm giving you the opportunity to change your mind. I'm giving you the opportunity to make a shift. Is it true that whenever music is played, you are not bowing your knee to my gods or bowing your knee to the golden image that I have made? If it be so, start doing it now. If not, you're dead. And the response of these three men, we don't need your approval. Your words don't make us second guess where we stand. We believe with all of our heart, our God has the ability to deliver us. I love this language though. And then they say, but if not, it doesn't matter. If we go to die, it doesn't matter. We refuse to worship anything other than our God. You know what this text tells us? Is that worship isn't always sunshine and rainbows. You hear me? Worship isn't always sunshine and rainbows. Worship isn't always you walking in this room and this music starts. Your worship goes far beyond this room and it goes far beyond a Wednesday night. Your worship goes in to your Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning. When you make a decision, how are you going to live your life that way? Your worship goes into the way that you enter the classroom. It goes into the way that you are going to honor and respect your mother and father. It goes into the way that you're going to honor and respect your teachers, your coaches, your friends, your brothers, your sisters. It goes into the way that you're going to speak about the people in your life, the ones that you hate, the ones that you love. It goes into the way that you live your life even in the small things. Why? Because worship is about you either bringing glory to God or something else. Are you with me? Can I ask you a question? If I were to bring any one of you up here and I were to say, do you feel like you glorified the Lord in the way you entered the classroom today? What could you say? Do you feel you could offer up the way you speak to your mother and father as worship to the Lord today? Do you feel that you could take what you do when you enter this room and as this team sacrificially gets up here and leads us in worship and say that whatever I'm bringing to the Lord is worthy of him 
tonight. Are you with, could you say that? I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm telling it to say, worship goes beyond this space. It's the way you spend your life. It's the way you spend your life. And something gripped these three men, these three men to say that whether we are delivered or not, whether we die or not, they will not bow their knee to an idol. And the question is, why? Why? Why would they accept death itself rather than bowing their knee? You want to know what the answer is? Is that they found that God himself is more beautiful, more precious, more lovely than life itself. Are you with me? If you're a follower of Jesus in here tonight, and if you don't follow Jesus and you end up following Jesus after tonight, you're going to ask yourself this question at least five million times in the next 20 years. You ready? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why would you willingly, as a young man or young woman, wake up early every day and get into the word of God and pray? Why would you do it? Why, as a young man or a young woman, would you choose to put self-control over your tongue and what you say to your friends, and what you say on social media, when it's so much easier just to share your opinion about everything. Why, as a young man or a young woman, are you going to choose to keep yourself sexually pure until you're married? Why, as a young man or a young woman, are you going to make a decision to honor your father and mother, whether they deserve it or not? Why, as a young man or a young woman, are you dedicating a day or a night of your week to go to church? to gather with other believers? Why, as a young man or a young woman, when you go off to college, are you gonna do everything you can to find other followers of Jesus so you can continue walking with Jesus? Why, when you get married, are you gonna make a covenant to stay committed to your spouse? Why are you gonna do it? The world's gonna sit there and scream at you. Life could be so much easier if you just fill in the blank. And I need you to hear me tonight. Unless the answer to all of those questions, the reason why you're going to wake up and get in God's word, the reason why you're going to wake up and refuse to slander or gossip about your friends, the reason why you're going to get up and refuse to care so much about your body image or your relationships, the reason why you're going to wake up every day and honor your father and mother is because you see Jesus as far more valuable than anything else. Hear me. Your faith won't last. Your faith won't last. If you don't find or come to the conclusion that Jesus is more valuable than your life, your faith won't last. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Worship is costly. It's going to cost you everything. The same way it costs Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hear me, you know your faith is alive. When whether it be a relationship, whether it be your opinion, whether it be an addiction you got going on in your life, whether it be a relationship, you're going to come to find faith is so much more authentic 
when Jesus becomes more valuable than all of it. Are you with me so far? Worship is a decision. You got to make a choice. Worship is costly. Number three, worship is a response. Is a response. These three men were educated Jewish men. And I know I can say that and it doesn't mean much initially, but this is what that means. These men would have known Israel's history. In other words, these men would have known that there was a man named Abraham who God made a promise to, that he would send a son. And through this son, it would be a blessing to all of the nations. And the nation would be greater than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And these men knew that there was a time in Israel's history when their nation was enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. And this nation cried out day after day after day, God deliver us. And they knew that their God was a God who remembered his covenant. And they remembered that their God was the God who came and sent the plagues upon Egypt and delivered his people out of Egypt. These three men knew that there was a moment in Israel's history where their ancestors stood upon the shore of the Red Sea and they watched God split the sea so that they could head into the wilderness. These men knew that their ancestors lived 40 years in the wilderness and day after day watched God provide manna from heaven. These men knew that Israel, being selfish, unfaithful, went and made a golden calf despite the fact that God had just delivered them to worship and yet God remained faithful. These men knew that God kept his promise and brought them into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. These men knew that despite the fact that Israel kept complaining for a king and they got a king, then they didn't like their king, God remained faithful. Hear me. So when the moment came where they were asked to submit their life to another God or hold fast despite death, they didn't hesitate. I need you to hear me tonight. I know you might be sitting here and you say, Pastor, that's great for Israel to see, but I don't see that. I don't see that. My, my life is a mess. I've never seen God move. I've never seen God work. I've prayed to him for a thousand things and I never saw him answer my prayer. I'm there with you. It's happened to me more times than I can count. But you wanna know the cool thing about Israel's story? Is that Israel's story becomes the believer's story. Israel's story becomes the believer's story. So you know what that means? If I'm a follower of Jesus, I get to say, my God, he split the Red Sea. He split the Red Sea. My God provided for the nation of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. My God, my God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live, to die, to raise again for me. That's my story. That's my story. 
and we look at Israel's story, and here's the thing. It's easy to look at their story and go, man, they were pathetic. They're like a five-year-old child who doesn't know how to listen. I mean, God pulls through for them, and it's not but a little bit of time. They've turned their backs. They started serving another God. Don't believe me? Open up the book of Judges. The beginning of every chapter. And Israel, yet again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And God gave them up to their lustful passions. And they began to cry out, God save us. And so God sent a judge and he delivered them over and over and over again. And you sit here tonight and you go, Pastor, that's great. I've tried the Christian thing. I've tried to follow Jesus. But no matter how many times I try, I keep returning to my same old addiction. No matter how many times I try, my family won't get their act together. No matter how many times I try, I still feel depressed every morning that I wake up. I got good news for you. That means the gospel is for you. It's for you. Let me give you a greater word of comfort. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians, he's talking to the church in Philippi. This is a guy who wrote 70% of the New Testament. And he says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Listen here. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let me tell you what that means and let me ask you to stand. Let me ask you to stand. Come on. I want you to stand. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Is he saying me? One who's a Pharisee of Pharisees, who knows the law better than anybody else, who by description and by holy living could say, ha he's the best. And yet he says, I don't got it figured out. I don't got it figured out at all. And in fact, he says, you know that suffering you feel where you wake up every day and you fail, you fall short, you return to your brokenness? He goes, I'm there with you. I'm right there with you. I'm not there yet. I have not been perfected yet. I still wake up and you know what he does? He does the very thing that he doesn't want to do. And the very thing that he doesn't want to do, he does. And he wakes up every day and he does it and he acknowledges it. But did you hear his response? He wakes up realizing he's unfaithful every day and yet his words are, but I press on. I press on. Why? Because he has the ability to be faithful to God? No. Because God has been faithful to him. 
God has been faithful to him. Every person in this room, myself included, does a really bad job at holding fast to God. Let me say that again. Every person in this room does a really bad job at holding fast to God. The gospel is not that you have the ability to hold fast to God. The gospel is that God has held fast perfectly to you in the person of Jesus Christ. So what is worship? What is worship? Worship is us taking the moment right now and taking the moment tomorrow morning and saying, ha ha, let's press on. Let's press on. Though we know we're gonna fall short, though we know we're wrestling with depression, though we know the world is going to chaos, we're gonna press on what? Because he's holding fast to us. He's holding fast to us. Here's the trick. You gotta make a decision right now. Do you wanna worship? Do you wanna take these moments and let your life be spent for the glory of God? Do you wanna take this moment and realize that Jesus Christ is more valuable than anything that you have in your life, including your life? Do you wanna respond? to the faithfulness that whether you might not have seen it prior to tonight, hear me, God is coming after you. Scott, can you bring the lights down? I don't just want us to sing. Many believers over the years are gonna honor God with their lips you know what? Their hearts are going to be far from him. No. That's not what we're about to do. I want to invite you. Look at me. I want to invite you to worship. I want to invite you to see God as more beautiful, as more lovely, as more exceptional than everything else in your life right now. If you're wrestling with some form of addiction, if you're, if you're wrestling with something going on in your family, man, if there's just some form of brokenness happening inside of you that, man, you just feel isolated and alone and you tried to wrestle that demon a thousand times and you've come out on the bottom every time, hear me, you are not alone. And more than that, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. Come get prayer tonight. Hear me, that's worship. That's worship, that's you acknowledging that you in and of yourself do not have the ability to take care of your own life. But you know what scripture says in the book of James? That prayer from a righteous man is powerful and it's effective. It's effective. So hear me, quit submitting to that brokenness. Quit submitting to that addiction. Quit submitting to that thing that's lingering over your life and look that thing in the eyes and say, ha ha, I'm gonna worship. 
Let me show you a God who can do the impossible, who can take three men put into a fiery furnace and let them have fun and walk out with all their cloaks going, this is what our God does. You hear me? Let me show you a God who can split the Red Sea this evening. That being said, can you bow your heads? If you're our leaders, I want you to come forward, go to the sides of the room. I want you to make yourselves available for prayer. I'm gonna pray here and the band's gonna take us back into worship and hear me. This is a costly moment, a moment where you're gonna have to decide, do we wanna worship? Do we wanna press in? Do we wanna hold fast to what God is initiating to us tonight? If that is the case, come get prayer. Glorify the Lord with all that is within you. Stir up your affections for the God who created you, who saved you, who loves you, and who is giving you new life day by day. Let's make a decision, brothers and sisters, to worship here this evening. Why? Because God is worthy of it. He's worthy of it. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Oh, we love you. We love you. Father, I pray even now you would begin up to, to stir up faith in the life of every young man, every young woman in this room. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would begin to show us how worthy you are of everything. Lord, I thank you that you are not a God who is afraid of our brokenness, and you are not ashamed of our brokenness. You are the God who has the ability to break chains, to liberate, to set the captives free, to set the lonely into families. You are healer. You are comforter. You are good news. You are righteous. You are lovely. You are gracious. You are merciful. God, I pray that we would see it tonight. Oh, Christ, would you be magnified? I pray that you would raise the dead to life tonight. God, show us what it means to worship. Father, would you rekindle relationship with you in here tonight? I pray for a boldness and humility in every young man and every young woman who needs to come forward and who needs to pray. Who needs to pray. Who needs to look to you and realize that you didn't create us to do it alone. Jesus, would you come? God, you are worthy. You are worthy. Come on. Let's worship.